Welcome back to another episode of the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, together with fellow tech editor Dave Rome in Sydney, Australia. Hi, Dave. Hey, how are you doing? We're, you know, doing okay. The usual Monday chaos. It's just kind of the usual chaotic COVID parent time. So nothing new. Nothing new. Nothing new. Okay. But... Anyway, in case you are wondering at home why you are already listening to another episode of Nerd Alert, well, yes, you did just hear one last week, and you have missed our recent announcements, we have now moved Nerd Alert to a weekly format, alternating between our usual group discussion show and an even nerdier episode where we take a deep dive into single subjects. Dave, this being a deep dive week, what have we mm. decided to, to talk about today? Uh, a component crucial to any bicycle, wheels. And to talk about wheels, we have with us a very special guest all the way from Perth, Australia, one of the remotest places on the planet, in the civilized planet, I should say. We have Adrian Emelson of Melody Wheels. Adrian, thanks for being on the show with us today. Great great to be here, James. Hey, hey Dave, how are you going? Well, thank you. Adrian, I first want to give people a little bit of background as to why we have you on the show today. So uh, I guess just as a little bit of a primer, uh, our former Cycling Tips tech editor, Matt Wickstrom, he is also from Perth. And uh, when I first started with Cycling Tips five years ago, almost to the day, actually, uh, but when I, when I first started working with Cycling Tips, uh, I started doing some research and you know talking to Matt and looking into Perth. And uh, I, I learned that Perth is apparently the most remote city on the planet, or at least that's pretty much how it's considered anyway. How remote are you? Um, well, Sydney's about... Five five thousand kilometers away. Um, so we're the most remote capital city on earth, apparently, as in a state capital. So that doesn't really count for that much. But basically, if if I head to the west, I'll hit South Africa. If I go south, it's Antarctica. <laughs> so that that kind of remote. So the, yeah. in other words, there's a whole lot of nothing between you and the nearest other major city. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. But that said, Perth does have a pretty good cycling scene and you build an awful lot of wheels. So what is the history of Melody Wheels? Um, the history is, well, it's it's complicated, but um, I'd actually started wheel building in Sydney. And to be quite honest, it was sort of a bit of a sort of side side hustle. I hate that word, hobby. Um, and I was, I was building wheels in, in some shops and building wheels for a lot of friends and, and people in my cycling club. And, and I moved to Perth about seven years ago when I had kids and I was at a bit of a sort of career sort of, um, crossroads, not really sure what I, what I wanted to do. I'd, I'd actually had a background in, in urban planning and geography, and I'd also worked in bike shops for my sins for a number of years. And, um, I, I wasn't sure what to do and I thought, bugger it, I'm, I'm going to just have a go at starting a wheel building business and, and see what happens. And um, it just it just worked. I just kept going and I got enough customers to, to make it viable and just kept on kept on working at it and building it up. And I think once once sort of my name got out there that, you know, I was sort of offering a bit of a specialist service. Um, word got out, cyclists like to talk and, and yeah, I start just kept going with it. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Seven years in. It's funny. I think, I think Dave, you'll agree with this too. That sounds like a, it's a very common 
theme for people who have chosen a, a career in the bike industry? Just some background that has pretty much nothing to do with bicycles, and yet mm -hmm. here we are. Yep. Eventually, mm -hmm. the the hobby starts paying for itself. Eventually. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, mostly. Yeah. Sometimes. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Adrian, how many wheel sets do you think that you've built in your career so far? And I guess why 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 would you consider yourself an authority on the subject? Why why do we have you here today? That, that's a great question. I'll try to give you a rough, a, a more exact number. Um, probably about four thousand wheels. So you know, depending on who you ask, um, that's. Uh, that's a lot or not that not that much, but I guess it's probably more than most people. Um, so I've, I actually have records for five years of my, so I keep records of every wheel I built. So I've, I've got a, a fair idea of the numbers, but for the first couple of years, I, I kind of wasn't keeping track of that. So yeah, that is so about, about 4,000. That's plenty. I would, I would guess that yeah. probably at the top end, I have probably built a, maybe a couple hundred. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say it's about 3,900 well, more than I've built. So, <laughs> Well, what, what I was going to say is that the thing about wheel building is there's, there's sort of like assembly line wheel building um, and, you know, there's robots that build wheels and there's also just like anything and everything. And, and to be quite honest, the, the thing that actually makes, makes wheel building industry, wheel building interesting for me is actually that huge diversity. So, you know, sure, I get to, to build some pretty, you know, what I'd call sort of um, bike candy kind of wheel sets, you know, high-end, Chris King, Envy, that kind of stuff. Uh, it doesn't happen that often, but, you know, I'll be building uh, wheels for electric cargo bikes and, and some of the issues related to that are completely unique and distinct. And that's that's actually like where I see, I don't want to say the authority, but you if you're only building the one wheel type of wheel, then you're sort of just following the same recipe. Whereas if you're, if you're having to do a lot of different things, then that's where that real experience comes from, practically speaking. Adrian, that actually is a perfect segue into our first question for you. Uh, sure. Because we, uh, I mean, listeners, you are not able to see our little, our list of show notes here, but we've got quite a good outline that we have presented here for Adrian. So we've got a lot to talk about. So we're just going to go ahead and dive in. Um, first thing that we wanted to ask Adrian, uh, why are wheels such a big deal anyway? I mean, what, why do they matter so much? I mean, I think most of us would consider that wheels would be like a second to the, to the frame set to be the most important component that affects the performance of a bike. Why, why is that? And would you agree? Okay. Um, well, I would say that um, primarily um, it's it's one of the most dynamic elements of the bike. So um, literally changing a set of wheels can change the way a whole bike feels. Um, so, um, you know, whether that be the way, you know, the aerodynamics, if you're a, ra a racing person, uh, whether it be issues related to how the tire and rim fit together, rolling resistance, um, just generally how the bike performs, if whether it's light, whether it has certain levels of stiffness. Um, and they're, they're all the sort of classical kind of like, you know, performance oriented aspects of how, how you would sort of say a wheel is important. Um, the other reason is, is often bikes tend to underspec the wheels on, on new, new bikes. Uh, not always, but it's, it's often the case that um, they're not specced 
Um, they, they put a cheaper wheel set on with the view that a customer will upgrade. Um, I would say also just primarily reliability. Um, I mean, you really want a good set of wheels to be reliable and uh, be safe and not leave you stranded somewhere and just give you peace of mind so you can enjoy riding. I mean, there's nothing worse than having to stop a ride because a, a spoke breaks or something like that. So I would say those are the, um, the, the main reasons why wheels are important. Um, but, you know, primarily coming back to that performance thing, um, the, the, the interface between the, the, the frame and the, the road or the, the trail or whatever, um, wheels are, are that, um, are the primary sort of, uh, components. So they have a huge impact on, on how a bike feels. Um, what would you say are the factors in a wheel build that basically make it feel the way that it does? I and mean, what makes, what makes a wheel feel stiff, for example, what makes a wheel feel more comfortable or more lively, etc. I mean, that's a pretty loaded yeah. question. There's a lot to talk about there. It, it, there's a lot in it. And, um, and unfortunately it, it is really, really subjective. And, and I get, um, I get sort of frustrated by, by talking about the, the comfort aspect of wheels, because I, I probably ag agree with, is it Josh Portner of Silka, um, that, you know, 90, 95% of it's probably just the tire and tire pressure. Um, once you, once you sort of take that out, but definitely, um, spokes, um, spokes and, and rims have a level of elasticity. Um, so they, they can conform, um, and flex and, and have a little bit of give, which can definitely have a positive aspect in terms of general comfort. Um, but, as I say again, the, the, the tires are the primary interface. Uh, in terms of stiffness, um, type of materials, thickness of materials, be it the, the rim, but primarily the spokes. Um, so heavier gauge spokes have a, a real significant impact on wheel stiffness, plus obviously the number of spokes. And, um, you know, you find that that's important for different riders. So a heavier rider, a powerful rider, a rider who does criterium racing would generally like a, a wheel that's quite stiff um, because they're, they're, they're pushing corners very, very fast and, and they're accelerating very, very hard. Whereas someone who, who just likes to ride their bike and plod along up hills, it, you know, they'll probably be more interested in, in a wheel that just feels really light and smooth. So it's different, different wheels for different applications. I mean, looking at the structure of a wheel, in in the one sense, it's a pretty simple thing in that you basically just have a round hoop, you have a hub, and then you have some number of spokes that are held in tension that are, you know, laced in some pattern and connect the two. So yeah, in, in theory and on paper, it sounds pretty simple, but, you know, in, in reality, like you said, I mean, there are, there's a wide array of performance characteristics in different rims. It can vary in, in width and stiffness. Um, there's a various, various performance aspects of spokes. Like you said, there are all sorts of different gauges, uh, you know, spokes are in tension, but yet somehow, you know, the, the, the gauge or thickness of those spokes seems to matter quite a bit in terms of how a wheel feels. And then for hubs, I mean, we have things like flange, flange spacing, flange diameter, you know, differential flanges. We have, you know, we, you know, a, a couple of episodes, we talked about things like you know, bearing spacing and, and axle stiffness and all this other stuff. I mean, all this stuff seems to matter as far as how a wheel feels. So from a builder's perspective, how do you make sense of all of these things? 
particularly from the perspective of kind of more like a, a cottage industry hand builder, as opposed to a company that might have, you know, a battery of engineers and all this test equipment and, you know, sim computer simulations and all that other stuff. I mean, how do you figure all this out? Like, what do you decide what to do? Um, well, generally it, it, it comes down to, um, in terms of those design, uh, choices um it's it's really kind of about um component cat compatibility um so you you're trying to find components that will um achieve the certain sort of ride characteristics you're after but also the i guess the the reliability and sort of coherence of the wheels so you mentioned stuff like sort of flange geometry um we, wheels are always uh have significant design constraints. So for example, if you wanted a wheel that had perfectly balanced spoke tension on the rear, you would have a one-to-one -one ratio of the, the, splange, uh, the flange spacing. Um, and that would mean that um, the spokes on one side of the wheel would have the same tension as the other, like, like you get on a traditional rim brake front wheel. However, if you do that, you actually um, would create a, a, a wheel that would be a complete noodle in terms of lateral stiffness. So you're trying to work between constraints. So, you know, a wide set of flanges will allow for uh, a better bracing angle, which improves the lateral stiffness of the wheel. However, if you push it too far wide, then what happens particularly on a rear wheel, is your, your spoke tension ratios will go out. And what often happens then is you'll have spokes that are uh, coming loose and working loose on the non-drive side. So it's, it's really just about um, understanding the specifics of the components and how they, they work together and making a lot of informed decisions as to what's going to achieve a certain uh, level of coherence and, and good design quality. Uh, other things, so um, lacing patterns, for example, um, you know, a lacing pattern, higher spoke cro cross, like a three cross in some examples, uh, will Im improve the, the torsional, uh, uh, torsional loads from both accelerating from the rear free hub or from um, braking. The, the efficiency is improved that with a better torsional bracing angle. And, and for, for braking, as far as torsional stiffness goes, and I guess you mean that in reference to disc brakes specifically, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the, the point I guess I was trying to make about the compromises is that if you choose a certain lacing pattern and it doesn't fit within the, the, the rest of the design of the wheel, so you have a really deep rim and a high flange, then you may be creating a stress where the, the spoke nipple alignment uh, leaves the rim so there's all these like compromises and decisions that where you've got to make choices as to um, what components are going to work really well together and where you're going to uh, where you're going to optimize certain characteristics and where you might have some compromises this sounds like the process of remodeling a house almost <laughs> so you know you've been you've been building wheels for quite a while now at this point you've built a lot of wheels um, and, you know, looking at all the different variables that you, that you have to play with when building wheels, I mean, there, there's a lot of gray area between sort of like the lightest and, you know, perhaps most flexible wheel set that you can get and like a super heavy, super stiff wheel. So how do you decide what's what? Um, I guess, for example, let's say 
you know, someone comes to you and they weigh 70 kilos and, you know, which is about what, 155 pounds or so. And, you know, let's say, you know, they say they're pretty easy on their gear and they want a really lightweight road racing wheel sets for rim brakes. Um, and let's, let's just take budget out of the equation for now. Um, so given that sort of scenario, what would you recommend for them? Well, it's, it's, it's a good one. Um, like it, it, in that particular example, I'd, I'd want to know a little bit more about their riding style. Um, so particularly if, if there's someone who's, who's after a, um, a aerodynamically optimized wheel for, for racing or other fast bunch riding or whatever, um, or whether they just want something that's, that's uh, more of an all-rounder. Um, so there's, there's quite a lot of um, considerations, and I, I just need to learn more about their um, their particular requirements, but you know, to be quite honest with you, I, I'm, I'm quite happy to say that for a lot of people in the the sort of that middle of the road kind of uh, category, maybe they don't need a custom wheel. I mean, I know that sounds um, heretical, but for a lot of people, they don't actually. There's there are a lot of great wheel options that are, that are made um, by good manufacturers that that will fit suit their needs. However. Like everything, people people like to customize. People people like to personalize, and you know, it, there might be a strong um, aesthetic um, element to what what they're they're after to, to match their bike. There might be just a real interest in in quality and sustainability, so that they know that hey, you know, I could get that that you know X brand wheel with you know all the proprietary spokes and stuff like that but i'd rather get something that i know that i can always repair and rebuild and is not going to give me problems so there are a lot of considerations and it really just comes down to listening to the customer and getting a sense of what what their priorities are and i i don't want to pretend i'm sort of like the the sort of psychoanalysis psychoanalyst of, of bicycle wheels but um a lot of it is is just having an honest conversation with, with people about what they what they really want and also being comfortable with saying hey maybe you know maybe you don't need a set of custom wheels um in the case of budget is no option um you know i'd probably put them on you know a set of envy and chris king wheel set <laughs> but um you know they can also buy them so um you know there's 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 a whole lot of variations there uh, let's so to give a different example then. So a lot of those wheels currently on the market are often, at least on the roadside, they're often optimized for 90 kilo riders in mind. Sometimes 110 kilo riders, but generally most mm. of the standards apply to a 90 kilogram rider weight. Say yeah, the right. riders 110 kilograms. Say they want mm. same ro- same rim brake road wheel, but for training. Is there are there any go to yeah. parts that you you immediately pop into your mind as to say like. You know, those are the parts I trust. That's the part I'd typically build with, as far as rim and. Yeah, selection. I mean, for, for for a heavier rider, um, generally I'd be recommending something like a a DT Swiss three fifty hub with uh, RR five eleven uh, alloy rims and um, and some heavier, probably Aerocomp uh, DT Aerocomp bladed spokes. Um, in the case of that particular rider. I wouldn't have a problem recommending a, a carbon wheel set for them. Um, don't have any problems building carbon wheels for heavier riders. As long as they don't live in the French Alps, it's generally not an issue uh, riding around here in Perth. 
So um, I could talk to them about some of the options for, for carbon rims and, and what would work for them there. Yeah, in that same example. Mm. So if you then if that rider then lost 30 or 40 kilos and they, they wanted yeah. a wheel set for, for training use, do your parts change? Yeah. 30 or 40 kilos, Dave. Yeah. What are they going to do? Cut off their leg or something? What are you talking about? I don't know. It can happen. <laughs> it it happens. It's, Trust it's me, James. Miracle. It's, a, it's a miracle <laughs> it is, uh, it is. machine. <laughs> <laughs> happened to me um yeah i mean i would probably recommend something um a little bit uh with lighter spokes um one of my sort of uh preferred rims for for general um all-rounders uh for an alloy wheel set would be a head uh belgium's plus uh, just really wide rim goes really well with a 23 or 25 millimeter tire um, I'd put in some Aerolite spokes, maybe 240 set, something like that. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Adrian, I remember back in my shop days, I mean, one of the biggest reasons why people would come to me to ask about a custom wheel set would be because they were having problems with their existing wheel set. I mean, Dave, as you mentioned, a lot of wheel sets, especially from, from the factory, um, are are made for you know an average rider weight. Um, but if someone is significantly heavier than that and they're having a lot of issues with, you know, not just wheel staying in true, but typically it'd be you know, like a lot of things with spoke fatigue, they'll be, you know, they'll start breaking smoke, uh, breaking spokes regularly. Uh, what do you generally recommend for someone like that who is primarily looking for durability, but still wants a higher performance wheel, I guess for, in this case for road riding, let's say. Um, yeah, well, I mean, similar to what I've already, um, recommended with, with Dave's first example, um possibly it, it would be uh coming down to a question of just increasing the the spoke count um so generally you'll find that um the the issues of sort of fatigue and spokes breaking the the more spokes you sort of add to a wheel uh the the load sharing increases between the spokes uh so the fatigue uh is reduced on each individual spoke um, so there's, there's just a sort of trade-off there in terms of um, how many spokes, how light do you want the wheel set to be. Generally on front wheels, there's no reason not to use lighter spokes um, because they're, they're not laterally, uh, they're not sort of radially loaded as, as, as heavily as, as rear wheels. Um, so basically, yeah, just, just, um, just coming, coming down with a, a compromise in terms of how, how, how light do they want to get their wheels and, um, and what sort of components would be recommended in terms of fatigue and all that. I mean, I, I've built e-bike wheels that had 24 spokes uh, and people said to me, you, you can't do it. It's, it's impossible. Um, many years ago, I think uh, Rolf um, had a tandem wheel set with 24 spokes and similar issue people said you can't make a tandem wheel with 24 spokes it's it's actually remarkable what you can do with a wheel but it has to be really well made and well designed and the components have to be uh the build quality is essential if you're expecting that that um product to to be reliable i mean one of the reasons why so many supermarket bikes and entry-level bikes have high spoke counts is is it just allows them to to have low lower standard wheels heavier lower standard wheels that that will probably survive okay um because of they've just overspoked them but if you if you build a wheel properly it can um it can be very reliable um it's kind of funny that you mentioned the the rolf because 
you know, I was working in shops in southeast southeastern Michigan at the time when Rolf was kind of just get uh, kind of just getting going, really. And you know, mm. there, you hear all sorts of stories about how, when back in the day, he would be taking his basically concept wheels and and shopping them around to different shops just to kind of show off the idea. And if I remember correctly, he took a set of just regular off the shelf rims and hubs and laced them with his well more or less off the shelf rims anyway and but he would build them up um you know like that original vector pro had 16 spokes i think um and if i remember correctly i want to say that he had a wheel that he would show off to people that had eight spokes i think mm-hmm. if i remember correctly and i remember that's <laughs> the stories that i heard i mean yeah that's an obviously a very very extreme example but um, you know, that, that paired spoke lacing pattern that he, that was sort of his, sort of his hallmark, uh, hallmark. I mean, it, it seems like that was a good example of how something that seems like it shouldn't work can work just because it is built and designed properly. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Um, I mean, the, the, um, the, 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 those wheels have proven, um, themselves. I mean, most stuff, particularly performance stuff, will, will break eventually. And um, so it really, w- one interesting question that I guess comes back to wheels, particularly at the sort of higher end stuff, is what is your realistic uh, expectation for the life of the wheel? And, um, you know, I, I have seen a lot of broken Rolf wheels <laughs> over the years, but, but they're probably, some of them are probably 20 years old, you know, from Lance Armstrong kind of uh, sort of... Uh, era type um so it's it's hard to is that a is that a negative judgment if it's if it's 20 years old i don't know um so yeah if stuff's designed well and and that's the other thing i think when when mavic sort of led the way with with sort of the proprietary wheel systems in the 90s i mean there was genuine engineering and 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 some really good ideas going going with their wheels and and many of their wheels were quite reliable not not always um but the the um the issue always has come down to at the end of the day you you're stuck with parts that become used by within one or two seasons and you can't repair or fix them uh, and then give them a few years and they're they're in the trash bin um so that's that's um might be a little bit off topic but um it's it's one of the um, one of the sort of uh, draw cards of a of, of a more traditional hand built wheel with standard standardized components is you your opportunities for repair and and longevity are, are massively increased once you take away those highly sort of unique proprietary designs. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I dare say that. You know, as good as a lot of those wheels were initially, there probably aren't a whole lot of first-generation Mavic Heliums or Rolf Sestriers that are still out in functional condition at the moment. Um, no. One of the things with a lot of those wheels, and I remember, I mean, back in those days, I, I went through the whole you know Rolf certification process as far as like you know oh. being a Rolf certified builder, and it was it was wow. I mean, it was it was very it was very uh, I guess regimented as far as what the what the steps were for building. And one thing that I feel like is pretty consistent um, is that with a lot of these super lightweight wheels, you know, one of the reasons why they are able to to to, to exist at all is because they were built using a very stringent and regimented build process. Like, 
you know, like look that, that original Mavic Helium, for example, I remember, you know, out of the box, they were fine. But if you had an older set that had been abused a lot and had been trued an awful lot, and maybe whoever truing them didn't do such a great job of keeping everything balanced and whatnot, um, those wheels oftentimes just didn't really hold up. Um, so, you know, you said, I can't remember if this was, if, if this was on air or off air, off air, but, um, you had said that, you know, you are not necessarily like, you know, you don't necessarily look at wheels from like a strictly engineering point of view. I mean, you look at a lot of this stuff from sort of almost like a process sort of thing. So, um, you know, as a custom builder, I would say almost one of the most valuable things you have to offer is sort of the consistency in the build process itself, which makes a lot of these wheels possible and that it is what makes them you know what makes them durable and, and long lasting and, and makes them just, just kind of survive the way that they do so what are some things that you might do as a custom wheel builder that someone might not get in a factory wheel it's like a number of things um so just in terms of um i guess the the, the distinction with the factory wheel uh, is also that um there are different factories so there's there's different Different companies have their own standards in terms of what they, how they undergo their processes and, and check things over. Um, I guess the, the main thing with a, a custom build is um, you're generally allowing uh, a little bit more time. Um, it's not simply a, uh, a sausage factory of pumping out units in a designated um, set of time. Um, one of the Weird things about uh, wheel wheel building is you, you just have to decide when the wheel is finished. Uh, it doesn't decide it for you. Um, I'd say that the the key differences and and again I just want to reiterate there there are companies that take a lot of care in, in how they they do things. But a, a custom builder worth their salt is going to really put in a lot of care to make sure um, all of the components are, are put together correctly. So. Critical things for me, um, I always measure my spoke uh, calculations for every wheel that I build. I don't have preset spokes. So I'm, I'm QCing every rim to make sure that it's within tolerance for roundness. I'm measuring and I also cut and thread all of my spokes. So they're exactly, um, you know, I can cut and thread spokes to the fraction of a millimetre. So I don't round up or round down from whatever I pull out of a box. All of my spokes are exact lengths. Um, other issues are in terms of putting the components together, um, a lot of care in terms of uh, um, little things like deburring the rim holes, uh, greasing certain contact points, um, applying uh, various spoke threat, uh, preps to help with uh, thread locking, but also to stop uh, corrosion issues between the spoke and the nipple. Um, all of these little, small little processes uh, take time in terms of assembling the wheel. Uh, and then after that, the, the process of actually building the wheel, um, the, the critical kind of things that you're after is basically when, you, when you're building a wheel, you, you've got, it's kind of a bit like a Rubik's cube. You've got a, an idea of how it's meant to look finished, but you've got to do all these little processes to get there and the the general kind of five principles for for a, a well-built wheel is it's going to be obviously laterally true radially true or round it's going to be centered it's going to be as in it's dished the, the rim is centered between the um, the axle nuts or the end caps of the the hub 
uh, and then the spoke tension has to be balanced. So um, on each side of the wheel, the, the, the spokes um, need to be balanced uh, within a real, uh, without any variation in terms of spoke tension. There's always a little bit, but you're trying to get it as balanced as possible. And then finally, um, one of the more critical elements is that the wheels need to be stress released so that the spokes have to be overloaded at some point um, to take any residual stresses out of the out of the spokes so that when the the wheel is actually put into service that it, it doesn't those spokes don't suddenly lose tension and i would i would describe it a little bit like um if you were like putting a tennis net up and you sort of tension the net up and then someone heavy went and jumped on the net and then the the net started sagging down that that wouldn't be a stress released tennis net you're trying to get spokes so that when they get loaded or unloaded that they spring back to their preset tension so that stress releasing is another critical element um, but in terms of actually building the wheel it's uh, the time taken you know some people will get a, a drill and literally just sort of drill drill the nipples up and and sort of adjust a few things get it roughly straight and round um, but you know, when you're dealing with like a 20 spoke uh, wheel and it's a, you know, 60 mil carbon rim and you've got these big gaps between each of the spokes, um, to get that thing to stay perfectly round is, is a really sort of slow incremental process of building tension into the wheel, keeping it, keeping it round, keeping it straight, slowly bringing it up to tension. Uh, so it's, it's a real um, iterative process and... Um, that that skill just takes time and as i say there, there are lots of ways to sort of get to that end point that that appears like a well-built wheel but a really well-built wheel will take a bit more time just because of the care involved in in not not skipping anything um in all of those different processes and that that comes through like if you a lot of the the factory built wheels that that we see through the door especially those on complete bikes i mean they they tick the boxes for the first three steps that you spoke about the the radial and lateral trueness and the the dishing is always spot on but then once you put a, a spoke tension meter on them you can see there's quite a lot of variance in in the spoke tensions around the wheel uh, and then also you go for the first ride and you start hearing all sorts of pinging as the, the spokes seat themselves into place. So that hasn't been fully stress relieved either. Uh, and that's a very, very common element that, as you say, like that's, that's stuff you're spending a lot of time on to correct for. And it's not stuff that they, I guess they have the time or the budget for at, at the factory when they're mass producing these things. I mean, that would add real cost to the end product. Yeah, certainly with, with lower level wheels um so um at certain price points um your your wheels are, are being hand built um by by companies uh and then at other price points there there may be a robot assembled and then maybe checked over by someone in in five minutes it is interesting to look at the variety of different methods people have for for de-stressing a wheel um, you know, I brought up that Rolf certification thing. I mean, one of the things I really wish I had taken with me when I left the bike shop days way back when was, um, you know, part of that certification was Rolf had these, had these, uh, these wheel tensioning boxes, essentially. They were like these big the tables. Yeah. yeah. These like, it was, like <laughs> it was like this like plywood box essentially with like a, a hole, a big hole cut in the middle of it for the wheel. And it was like this sort of, it almost looked like a dishing tool. It was like this flat 
kind of like arch arched uh, steel thing. Yeah, and like you could you could crank on it. You it had like this little like plastic cup that would push on the on the hub flanges, and you would basically crank on it with a torque wrench until you got to a, a certain torque setting, and then flip the wheel over and do it over again, and then check everything. And then you know I have another good friend who he's a custom wheel uh, wheel builder out in Vermont. Um, uh, his name is Zach Masick. He's, he's at Z Spokes. If you want to go check him out, but um, you know he. I remember when I used to work with him at a shop here in Boulder, he had this stack of old rims that he would tape together and he would essentially just put the wheel, you know, lay it on the side on the rim. And then he would sort of just walk on the wheel a little bit, kind of just like stand it on a little bit. And that would be his method of de-stressing, which I guess would vary a little bit depending on how many burgers he had had that day. But, but I mean, it, it, it's all, you know, the same, the same thing exactly. I mean, it was the same thing in, in concept is you're, you're trying to put a lot of, stress on the wheel so that like you said it can kind of return back to this relaxed state so that when you do ride on it you don't have these issues where the wheel might want to just settle into some state that's not round or not true um i do want to move on to some service and maintenance stuff but before we move on to that i want to ask you a couple of questions that kind of deal with some of the mythology of wheels because i feel like this is something that we have to ask of any wheel builder and I, want so, to get, and, I, and I want to get your take on some of this stuff. So first and foremost, what is your position on tying and soldering? Uh, and, and I guess for listeners, if you don't know what tying, tying and soldering is, it is kind of an old world technique of tying the crosses in a, in, in a, in a spoke or in a wheel that has spokes that cross over each other. Um, you basically tie the, tie those, those crossings together with a little bit of wire and then you sort of like lock them in place with some solder. So Adrian, what is your what is your take on that? Um, I would say I'm probably an agnostic, um, maybe a skeptic. Um, I I have done it, um, but I don't really see any benefit in doing it. Um, the only thing I could say that it would have some benefit uh, would be um, if you were concerned about the spoke getting caught in the rest of the drive chain or something like that. Um, I don't believe it has, in. yeah, yeah. I don't think it has any, any real significant impact on, on lateral stiffness in the wheel. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'd say I'm a skeptic. I have done it and, um, I, I actually once did it on a, on an e-bike wheel, um, which was, um, it was having major fatigue issues and it, it seemed to help a little bit because the, the wheel had such a powerful motor that it was getting this sort of significant torsional load. So I thought if I could share that load around a little bit uh, with the other spokes that it might uh, help. But that was, to be honest, that was a that was just a little bit of a experiment. Um, but it didn't seem to do any harm. So I'm, I'm not going to say it's terrible and you can't do it, but I, I don't think it has any real benefit. Oh, interesting. You're breaking my heart because I still, I still, Sorry. Keep, my, I still keep my roll of beekeeper <laughs> wire in the, in, the, in the tool chest. Um, <laughs> Elbows in or elbows out versus straight pull. Uh, I would love to get your take on this because we all. Oh wait, 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 wait! There's two questions. So you got J bend or straight pull? Okay, which, yeah. Which so, I mean, so I, I let's first go with elbows in or elbow or elbows or heads in okay. or heads out. I should say, and that uh, again is in reference to traditional J bend spokes in the wheel, and that refers to whether you feed the spoke in from the inside of the flange or the outside of this flange and it's related to whether it's a pulling spoke or a quote-unquote pushing okay. spoke. And, okay. Well, well, well Shimano, say, Shimano say you should do it one way 
and Envy say she should do it the other. I think Chris King might as well. Um, I generally, on rear wheels uh, with the drive side, I generally do uh, heads in or elbows out. Um, that's the sort of traditional way. Um, and I guess my, my justifications for that are um, there's a bit more uh, contact between the, the spoke elbow and the, um, and the flange in terms of uh, transfer of load. Um, however, I've seen enough wheels built the other way uh, to believe that it really doesn't make a huge difference. So again, I'm going to disappoint you and say I'm, I'm actually an agnostic. Um, I, I have followed some very heated discussions about elbows in versus elbows out. Generally, what I have found is that elbows out does put a lot more stress on the flange. Um, so most of the hub failures you will find tend to be elbows out. Um, but in my experience, the hub, irrespective of whether they've been a pulling or pushing spoke or however you want to call it, um, it's it's been the elbows out spoke that's that's tended to have the most stress cracking around the flange holes. Interesting. See, I mean, you say that you know you're might be disappointing people by saying that you're kind of have have a neutral view on a lot of these things, but mm. uh, I would argue that you're just being honest, which I find refreshing, which is good. <laughs> All right. Um, all right, now what, what about, yep. J Ben versus straight Okay. All righty. I love, I love this question. <laughs> um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with straight pull. Um, and I'm quite happy building, the, building straight pull. Um, there's, there's one thing I don't like about a straight pull is that it doesn't give you any chance to choose the lacing pattern. Okay. So as a wheel builder, you don't have any input in that decision. It's determined for you, okay? Um, from a, a functional perspective, zero concern. Um, one reason a lot of wheel builders, a lot of mechanics don't like straight pull is the spoke uh, length calculations are a bit more complicated. Uh, they, they require a bit bit more care and effort um, to get them right uh, and a bit of bit of honing of that that those those processes but to be quite honest once you once you get those processes of measuring refined because you know if you have like a 28 hole rear hub you can't measure the circle um, pitch circle diameter with a standard vernier there's nothing to measure off you have this problem with offset in the spoke holes forward and backwards so they they are difficult for for spoke calculations more difficult um, but from a building perspective, no problem. Happy to build them. And not to put words in your mouth, but also much more limiting on the spoke choice as well, right? Because a lot of wheel builders Does... insist on doing bladed spokes, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, to some degree. Um, the you, It depends on how you, you insert the spokes into the flanges. Um I don't think it makes a huge difference. I mean, most of your sort of bladed spokes will have a, a 2.2 or 2.3 maximum uh, width that will fit in most straight pull or J-Bend hubs. But um, yeah, I guess I guess you might have a few few limitations. There. I guess the, the other issue with with straight pull is just generally in the in the aftermarket for spokes, there's far less options for straight pull, uh, and that's that's frustrating because you just can't get the spokes that you need. Um, I will say that there's another type of straight pull called a T-head, and I don't like them. Mm. That's what DT Swiss's new wheels are using, right? <laughs> oh, sorry. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe shame. Feel free to. Um, 
yeah, they do use them. It's yeah. just that um, they're, they're, again, they're just harder to get. It's not that there's functionally anything wrong with them. The design is, is kind of identical to a straight pull. It's just not having the same range of, of spokes available just is frustrating. That's it. Yeah. What's the idea with the T-head? What, what does it try to achieve? It's it's trying. Listen, I, I you would need to chat with DT Swiss to get confirmation. <laughs> My understanding is that um, at some element it, it allows them to design their hubs to be uh, possibly a little bit lighter. Uh, I believe it also allows them to work to higher spoke tensions in terms of the way the um, the spoke head sort of cradles in the flange. But I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Okay. Um, a, a new enough. annoying technology. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's just it's just like I've heard on your podcast many times before is is we we have standards and then we add another standard yep. and another standard and it and it just makes life more difficult. I mean, it was only last week I heard that our road boost has become. Oh a new no, no, yeah. we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. It, la, okay. la 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 la. Yeah, if we ignore, <laughs> if we completely ignore its existence, it will go away. Okay, let's yeah. ignore it. <laughs> uh, what about two-to-one lacing? And I guess for, for those who don't yep. know what I'm talking about, it means you know, using double the number of spokes on one side of the wheel versus the other to, in theory, balance out spoke tensions to you know, kind of compensate for different bracing angles. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, two-to-one, I mean, really popularized by uh, Campagnolo and Shimano. Um, it's it's a it's a great idea. It's a, it's a very um, uh, sensible design um, in terms of uh, lowering the spoke count and also increasing the, the, the balance of spoke tension in a wheel. Um, where I would say it, it struggles is that once you uh, say have like a twenty one spoke wheel, um, often the the distance between um, spokes becomes quite large on the non drive side. And suddenly your ability to actually get the wheel to, to true it uh, becomes a lot more challenged. So you tend to find that a lot of those wheels are really difficult to, to, to true to a really high tolerance. They tend to sort of zigzag in the truing stand. Um, but generally, they're, they're, they're a pretty good idea. I think as we've sort of moved towards disc brakes as becoming the kind of more dominant uh, wheel um, in most applications and most bikes, um, I think that that design hasn't become so much of an issue because uh, modern uh, disc brake hubs have, have better um, axle spacings and allow for better spoke tension ratios. And obviously having uh, a load on the braking spokes meant, has meant that, that that sort of technology is no longer required. But yeah, generally, it's, it's, it's a good idea. But again, it creates the same problems with uh, compatibility and repairs that if you, you could have a really, really nice, say, <clears throat> fulcrum hub with, um, you know, Colt bearings in it. But, uh, once, um, once something breaks, it's, it's, you can't reuse that hub. You're not going to get a 21 spoke rim or, or special spokes to, to, to reuse that. So once you, um, start operating with those sort of two-to-one patterns, it becomes very difficult to, to do much with the wheel. You're locked into so, the system. You're locked into it, yeah. I can say, so are you, Are you? do you dare to suggest that wheel systems aren't universally better than just regular <laughs> hand-built wheels all the time? 
No, no I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm, tr- I'm feeling... You're so good at not yeah, taking I'm the tr- bait. I love it. Um, <laughs> le- uh, next question I have on the sort of wheel building mythology thing. Spoke tension. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the idea that more spoke tension makes for a stiffer wheel. What's your take on that? Oh, no, that... I would say that's a big myth, um, big, big myth. In fact, it might actually be the complete opposite at some level. Um, spokes need to be tensioned to, to what I would call a sort of a, a, a functional range. And, um, and that, that is basically that when, when they get cyclically, cyclically loaded, they're not going to come through a uh, – uh, they're not going to loosen off basically the, the, the – preload on the on the nipple on the spoke threads is not going to allow them to work loose um wheel, wheels need to be tensioned um pretty significant with a lot of uh um they, they need a significant amount of tension to be strong and reliable and it's it's one of the the amazing things about a bicycle wheels that it can be so light and so strong at the same time um but when you get past a certain threshold let's say nominally 100 kilograms of force uh stiffness does not increase one bit in fact there was a phd thesis that came out of i think it was northwestern university a few years ago which actually found that um once you get past nominally that that tension that um the wheel actually becomes more unstable at higher tensions it'll start buckling on itself and and flex laterally to a greater amount so yeah it is unfortunate that um you know occasionally people say oh a wheel's not not stiff enough let's just crank up the tension and and hopefully the rim or the hubs won't break but um in reality it has no no impact the the critical factors for for stiffness and i'm here i'm talking laterally is bracing angles number of spokes spoke thickness that those are the things that are that are going to make the, the difference unless of course you've only got like five kilograms of force in a in a in a, in a spoke you know if at a, at a certain point a spoke's going to be loose but once you get nominally past a certain threshold you're fine so then that that means uh, you're also debunking the myth of how some people talk about how their custom wheel builders build wheels uh to a certain tension for their for their weight to achieve a certain ride quality is that that's all linked, right? Oh, that that is controversial. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. Um, sometimes the the issue with tensioning is you, you're trying to tension, um, say particularly with a rear wheel, you you may want to over tension a little bit on on one side to to bring the non drive side up to a certain degree. When I say over tension, I, I don't mean that. Literally, I just mean tensioning one side. Um, the way the weight of the rider is going to have a significant impact on the wheel, and and you can probably get away that the what what I'd call the sort of cyclical loading um, might vary between different riders. Um, so I'd say there's just like a tiny little bit of truth in that, um, but essentially it's more of a design issue. Than, than a spoke tension issue. And I, I know that some people will, will argue different things. And the, the other thing is generally you'll find that higher spoke count wheels are more likely to have lower tensions. Uh, and that's just 
partly because the, the it's it's just more people when I say people more spokes working together sharing all those dynamic loads um, they're, they're achieving the same thing with more with more people doing that that work so it's um it's 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 complicated um, historically um, the a lot of the lightweight rims um, were hitting a pretty pretty low threshold where they might sort of fail so a lot of the you know the classic box section tubular rims that people grew up on in the 80s um, you know you crank them north of 100 kilos something might break um, so but in those days you might have only had six gears on the back so the hub geometries were a lot more forgiving so For sure. yeah anyway it's complicated <laughs> all right fair enough fair enough all right well, let's move on to service and maintenance because I feel like at this point we've talked a lot about new wheels and you know the idea of having custom wheels built. But the reality is, the reality is most of the people listening to this they already have a bike, they already have you know one, you know maybe two sets of wheels that realistically they're going to have for quite some time. Um, and it would be nice to get a, a wheel builder's perspective on do's and don'ts for maintenance. Just, just to add before you answer this, Adrian, I will just say that um, a lot of wheel builders out there build wheels, give them to the customers, and then that's kind of the last of that they see with those wheels. Uh, a lot of, especially wheel builders that sell online or or ship wheels, I will say that Adrian's somewhat of a specialist when it comes to wheel servicing. So um, this is really okay. his his uh, dare I say field of expertise now, really? which is uh, oh gosh, yeah. So he's uh, he's very much an open shop for 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 dedicated servicing needs. So um, anyway. I'll, uh, with okay. that said, I'll, right. I'll let you answer some questions. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, the most, um, so it's just, you're regarding, so the most common issues, I guess I would say, um, would be corrosion. Um, and that's uh, partly related to um, uh, wheels have different components that, that, that are you know different diff different metals that tend to seize together. So uh, lubrication on the on the, the spoke uh, nipples is you know a little bit of oil can make a huge difference in terms of keeping a wheel serviceable, um, preventing corrosion. Ideally, those issues will be um, uh, managed as part of the build, but but that's one of the um, the the sort of little things you can do is if if you can keep your um, if you can put a little bit of uh, light oil on the spoke nipples, that, that can go a long way. Um, in terms of, say, hubs, um, the biggest problem I have with wheels is people ride stuff till it breaks. Um, so um, being comfortable doing a, a minor disassembly of your hub is... Um, is, is not beyond most people. Um, it usually just involves basic tools, such as a set of spanners, cone wrenches, Allen keys, some rags. Um, it's really important to use the right lubrication, so if you're working on a, a freehub body. Um, so typically a really lightweight grease. Um, I use uh, stuff called Demontec uh, freehub body grease, but uh, Shimano make a freehub body grease. Some hubs will require a, an oil. Um, say um, Industry 9 or um, Mavic require a mineral oil. 
Um, DT have their own grease. Uh, generally, I'd say just um, being um, comfortable, comfortable doing a disassembly of the hubs. If you're moving into the area of bearings, or I guess the other thing I'd say is just being aware of, of what the, the wheel feels like. So taking the wheels out of the frame, giving them a spin, feeling for play, um, and um, feeling for any grinding on the bearings. Just the, the quicker you can get these issues resolved sooner, uh, the, the longer life that wheel's going to have. Um, in terms of more specialist servicing, um, if you're replacing bearings, it's definitely um, not beyond the scope of most people. Um, it's not too dissimilar to putting in a press fit um, bottom bracket bearing. Um, however, if you're going to do it, you're usually looking at at least $400 worth of tools. Um, maybe there's some cheaper ones out there. Um, but uh, replacing bearings without a, a bearing press or um, a bearing puller is, is going to be pretty um, rudimentary and unlikely to, to go well for you. So, you know, no hammers, no punches, no sockets. There's a lot of uh, shop mechanics out there uh, upset to hear this, but... Uh... Sorry, <laughs> not that I disagree with that. Um, yeah. Well, Dave, they can't. They they don't have any of that stuff because you've bought them all. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They can borrow it off me. If um, I don't actually mean that. No one's borrowing my tools. If if you're if you're a really dedicated lifelong cyclist and and you don't mind having a few tools, um, then there's no there's no reason not to to get a bearing press. But it's as I say, it's it's something that you would. You know, may only use once or twice every second year, which in which case it's probably best left to the bike shop. What about wheel truing? Because I feel like that's a thing that most people run into most often, and yeah, I feel like it's a sort of thing that a lot of people look at a wheel as as sort of like this this mysterious black hole, like it's just this you know complicated thing with you know all these spokes and nipples and like you know. The, yeah. this spoke goes this way and you have to loosen this one or tighten this one what sort of resources would you would you suggest or what sort of advice would you give to people who you know let's say they want to tackle just a really light duty wheel true like you know they have one tiny mm. little wobble in the rim yeah, you know, that, yeah that's not due to one rim actually being belt bent i mean is it something that you think that people should tackle yeah yeah i think so for sure um what i would say is there's, there's sort of two ways of looking at it. Um, from, the, from the equipment point of view, um, just, just having a good spoke wrench is, is half the battle. Uh, unfortunately, my, like when I started working on bikes, I got this cheap little kit with this ring style uh, spoke wrench that had all these numbers that made no sense and, and you would put the wrong number on and round off a nipple. Um, that's not going to end so well. Um, so... Getting a good spoke wrench, um, if you're working with a, a bladed spoke, um, you're going to need a bladed spoke holding tool, otherwise the, the spokes will twist. Um, my general advice for people who are interested in, in doing their own maintenance and repairs is um, start with something that you're happy to break or mess up. Um, so if you have an old wheel... Um, that's no longer being used or you just find one somewhere, um, have a go at fixing it and, and learn from that process. Um, because if you've got expensive components, you don't really want to risk messing things up in, in the learning process. Um, so that's, that's my general advice is to, to start, start with something 
that you already have that's of no consequence. And you might even want to rebuild the whole wheel. So if you've got an old old wheel with, with traditional spokes, it doesn't matter if you reuse the spokes in this situation. You can just pull it apart and put it back together and, and try building it up and, and you, you'll learn from that. From a, a basic equipment perspective, um, you, you really do need a truing stand. Um, people do true wheels in all sorts of apparatus uh, with zip ties and the frame and on their home trainer and all sorts of stuff. But generally, you do need a truing stand and that's a significant investment, but there are cheaper ones available. Um, you're going to need, as I mentioned before, a good quality spoke wrench is, is the most important thing. And that might also mean having a range of different spoke wrenches to fit different size nipples. Um, after that, a uh, spoke tensiometer, uh, and this is getting into the more expensive range of tools, but typically they may be sort of, you know, up to $100 Australian roughly for a spoke tensiometer, and that's going to allow you to, to gauge the, the spoke tension balance and find those loose spokes but you know you can do that to a certain degree by ear uh, and then the last I guess tool would be the the dishing tool uh, which is um, again you can get by without one but it makes it a lot easy to have have a dishing tool so um, all in all you, you might be looking at a couple of hundred dollars um, investment for a really basic wheel truing setup um, but I wouldn't discourage anyone from, from giving it a go. Um, but as I said at, at the beginning, if, if you're really trying to learn this stuff, start with something that you can break and then it doesn't matter if, if you don't get it right the first time. Whereas if you go straight to your expensive wheel, it's probably best to take that to a, a shop or someone who knows what they're doing. And I guess realistically, if someone wanted to just start, sort of get into it, and just kind of get into the basic principles of how to just how to true a wheel or even just, you know, what tightening a spoke does and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I guess one of the, I guess one of the thing they could do is just go to their local shop and see if they have any discarded wheels uh, yeah, that they absolutely. can play around with. Because at th then at that point, you know, you don't even have to end up with a wheel that's perfectly true. But if you're, if you're just trying to figure out what does what you can just start with a wheel that's, you know, that, that, isn't perfect anymore and just see what happens when you tighten this spoke and loosen that one and so on and so forth right absolutely yep cool well i was keen to just dig in a little bit more on the tools because you know <laughs> of course <laughs> of course uh, and also oh. adrian for those uh, that aren't familiar matt wickstrom our former tech editor um in Australia, did actually do a very deep dive on the Wheels Pro Wheel. Uh, sorry, the Tools Pro Wheel Builders use and uh, the the workshop and the, the expertise Matt used for that piece were actually Adrian uh, and his tools. So, oh, I, and, I, and and a number of other people as well. But it was mainly Another you, other. but looks looking at the no, images, no, no, it was no, mostly <laughs> your selection of tools. Um, well, that was because he was here in Perth, so he could photograph. Exactly. Them. <laughs> the point is, you have a lot of uh, wheel building tools. I do. I do. Um, yes. So yeah, you're speaking about before, like uh, starting with a good spoke wrench and then starting with yep. a, a basic uh, spoke tension meter. Uh, what yep. What would be your recommendations for you know good value options there to start with? Um, listen, just the the park stuff's fine. So the the three park spoke wrenches, which are typically the the black, green, and red ones, cover most most nipples you'll see uh, in wheels. Uh, and then um, just the standards park tensiometer. It's it's not 
what I would call a precision tensiometer, but it's it's perfectly um, usable and functional. Functional, so that's where I'd probably start. Well, so you're saying mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need a need a fully custom made Abbey Bike Tools. I'm getting to that. Engaged. I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, and then, okay, so say uh, you've got someone listening at the moment that uh, is very keen to start building wheels at a high level, loves quality tools, or perhaps there's even a professional listening that that just you know, is keen to up their tool game. Uh, what are some of your favorite uh, go-tos at the moment in terms of the tension meter use, dishing tool, Turing yep. stand? Okay. Um, well, the Turing the stand, um, well, okay, which one should I start with? Um, the tension meter, tensiometer, um, I have actually about seven different brands of tensiometer. <laughs> um, Beats me. And yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, I'm I I really like the P and K Lie tensiometer. Uh, that's been my favourite. Um, I found that it it works for really good range of spokes. It's it's quite light. It's it's easy to use. It's it's pretty accurate. Um, there's another type of tensiometer made by Wheel Fanatic, um, which is based on the Yerst Brandt design, uh, which is a sort of copy of an original FSA tensiometer. Um, it's it's fantastic as well. Um, I find that it's it's a little bit for me it's a little bit slower to use, um, and I've I've had to sort of calibrate spokes with mine a bit more variably. Um, so both of those are really good. Um, and, and sorry, just to interrupt, Wheel Fanatic yeah. is the brand of Rick Hertberg, who was the original uh, one of the original Wheelsmith guys. Correct. Yes, he's he's pretty. Much, I don't think he'd like the word Godfather of wheel building. It sounds too sinister, but he he kind of is the Godfather of wheel building. So. Um, um, we're very lucky that Rick is here in this world, uh, certainly custom, custom wheel builders. And that, that actually brings me to another tool if I'm allowed to, to jump in there, but he, he's the distributor of the Morizumi spoke cutting and threading machine, uh, which I, I hate to say, but I actually have two of them. Um, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is insane. Those Adrian are so expensive. Adrian's Why do you people. have two of them? <laughs> Um, so I have one for 12 and 13 gauge. Uh, so I, I do a lot of e-bikes. Um, so they're a different gauge. So I have that machine set up for, for e-bike spokes. And then I have another machine for standard 14 gauge spokes. Um, the reason why I have two of them is what I just mentioned, e-bikes. But secondly, the, the tool is actually so important to me that if one were to break or be, be out of operation, my business would come to a standstill. So I have two because I'm basically taking the view that if something breaks, I can still cut and thread spokes because I can change the dies between different machines and still still use it. Um, that that machine is incredible, um, and it's 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 just made uh, my work so much better. Because to be honest, I, I just couldn't manage all the spokes inventory if I wasn't working with um, a cutter. And I, I couldn't add the same level of precision to my work um, if I wasn't able to cut and thread spokes to exact um, uh, tolerance, well, not tolerances, to exact lengths, because um, traditionally spokes only come in two millimetre increments and often you're finding yourself either rounding up or rounding down. And, and I just don't like doing that. So, yeah, that's, that's probably the most important tool. Um, after that, in terms of the pro tools, um, uh, recently, um, I picked up, 
a calibration jig, um, which was made uh, in uh, Switzerland by a guy called Black Cat Wheels. I think he's actually moved to Poland now. Um, but basically, it's 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 a it's a sort of weight scale that's put on this big rack that allows me to tension spokes and cross calibrate the the kilos of tension on the on the spoke, and that's. That's really helpful because I'm often working with spokes that don't have any specific calibration and I need to be able to work out what the numbers are actually saying reliably. And I also need to check that my own tools are operating reliably because I, I don't want to um, risk over or under tensioning a wheel. Um, another really nice tool to have um, that I believe Dave may know a little bit more about now is the Noble Wheels Lacing Jig. Uh, and as much as you can easily build wheels without a lacing jig, um, but it just makes life so much easier. I mean, I was building up a, a straight pull hub yesterday where the, the spokes just slotted in and, and sort of hung on the edge of the hub. They didn't actually have a full hole to hook into. And if I'd tried doing that without the, the jig, it just would have taken forever. It would have been a complete nightmare and a mess. Um, so Johnny at, at Noble Wheels has, has, um, has made that. And I actually believe that Rick uh, Herkberg is distributing them in, in North America now. So there you go. Um, finally, I have to mention as well, uh, the Abbey Harbour dishing tool. Um, I, I already had five dishing tools and and i know that sounds extreme Th three of them were the same one that i used for for teaching wheel building courses so i'm not just a complete tool nut um but i, I picked up the the abbey one and i was just like oh really do i do i really need another addition tool i mean i'd, I'd had the cyclist dishing tool for many years and it, it had been great but the reason but then you push the button and you felt that thing fall and it's just like oh, oh i must well, have this the, the old VAR one had a similar design with a little sort of punch lever, but they, I don't know where you get those anymore. Um, the, the Abbey one, the, the reason it was so uh, useful was, A, it was just so much quicker than any other dishing tool that I had, but B, the, um, most of the rims I'm working with are, are tubeless compatible, irrespective of whether they're set up tubeless or not. And um, one of those things that a lot of people don't, talk about or not necessarily aware but wheels go massively out of dish when you set when you put the tire on um a lot of wheels particularly carbon road wheels uh you put a tire on and and the rim moves to the drive side about a millimeter or so so um being able to get a really accurate fast dish with a tire on that tool's just been fantastic so i absolutely love the the harbor tool and and being originally a Sydney boy, I, I feel uh, a connection with the tool in a circuitous way. <laughs> so, yeah. So the, the story of the name there is, um, I don't know how to say this without sounding ridiculous, but uh, my wife <laughs> bought me said tool for my 30th birthday uh, as a prototype. So Jason made me the only one in the world because my wife reached out to him saying hey i think he owns every tool in the world but you know here's <laughs> photos of your entire of his entire collection um i want to surprise him and jason was like well why don't i make him this tool because i think i can make one better than the the one on his shelf uh and then i decided that the tool looked a lot like the sydney harbour bridge which uh is the name the harbour gauge but 
uh, Abby Vichtels misspelt it because they're American. So it's, it's a different <laughs> spelling to the trademarked Sydney Harbour Bridge, but that is where the name comes from. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you like that tool. So, yeah, so. The, the, other thing, the other thing with that tool is, or not with that tool, but just with dishing tools, is um, I, I kind of think of dishing tools as the, as the quintessential wheel building tool because... You know, there's there's tensiometers used in in yachting and and aviation. There's there's truing stands for motorcycle wheels. There's there's all sorts of different things. But I'm not aware of a dishing tool in any other application. And hmm. I I also love the fact that it, it's the measurement tool that doesn't actually have any measurements. So <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of unique in that way. So I yeah I, I love dishing tools. Very cool. I feel like I feel like this is the point in the show where I just sort of leave Dave and Adrian alone <laughs> to speak amongst themselves. Yeah, I've been I've been writing notes about the the spoke tension uh, uh, gauge that uh, he's using, and yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I feel like this was expensive for me this episode. Oh man! Oh man! Dave is going to go immediately to the Wheel Fanatic website and start ordering two more zooming machines and the whole digital <laughs> tensiometer kit. And that is one that is one tool I haven't yet been able to justify for myself. Is a is a spoke cutter. Okay, well, I think it's time for us to sign off here at this point because if we were to let Dave and Adrian just continue on with this conversation <laughs> about tools, we're gonna this show is going to last about two and a half hours, and I think we're going to have to cut this off. Mm-hmm. That's that all said, Adrian, I like how this episode started with you being very, very humble about your expertise as far as wheel building is concerned. And I feel like listeners got a much better view as to why we selected you to be on this show. Because I think it's pretty clear that you probably know a thing or two about wheel building. And I I personally appreciate that you have taken the time to talk to us about this because wheels are obviously, again, arguably the most important performance component on your bike. There's a lot to know about them, and there's certainly a lot more than we could have covered on this show. But We didn't even talk about ceramic bearings. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> cut. All right. It's all right. Cut. No, cut. Cut. We're done. <laughs> cut. Cut. Adrian, thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate you. Uh, Thanks. I'm sure we will have more questions at some point, and I dare say we may have you on again. So thank you again for being on the show. That that'd be awesome. Thanks, James. Thank you, David. Cheers. Okay. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, Nerd Alert is now weekly. So after this deep dive episode, we will have the regular group discussion next week. So be sure to tune into that. Uh, make sure you please leave us a comment or rating on iTunes or better yet, tell your friends about the show so that more people can listen to Nerd Alert. And with that, we'll say goodbye for the week and we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Yeah.